Well, friends, good morning. Good morning and welcome to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. Uh, welcome to those of you who are visiting, to, to all of us who are here together, whether you have uh, braved the cold weather to join us in person or whether you're joining us online. Uh, for those of you who are new or whom I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Matthew. I am the senior pastor here at Pleasant Street. On behalf of all of us, glad that you could be with us joining us today. When we worship, as we do on Sundays, we do so using a printed liturgy, which you can find, uh, hopefully, on your way in. Uh, and the things that we will be saying and singing together will also be on the screen in front of you if you are joining us from home. Well, today, uh, as we get started here at church, um, it is a, uh, it's an important date on the calendar. Um, and for those of you in relationships, I don't mean Valentine's Day necessarily, which Maybe news to you, it came up faster for me than I was anticipating this year. Uh, today is actually an even lesser well-known date. It's called Transfiguration Sunday. Uh, transfigure what? Is, yeah, I know, I understand. It's a big word. But uh, Transfiguration Sunday is the Sunday before we begin our journey toward uh, Lent, uh, toward Jesus' death and resurrection. And Transfiguration Sunday is, is kind of like the culmination of all this light that we have been thinking about together uh, during Epiphany, when we want to see light, when we want to see the truth of who Jesus is and what God is up to in Jesus. And we have been trying to do that for these last few weeks to see him as clearly as possible. And today, we go up the mountain with Peter and James and John, and he is on full display in his glory. Um, Transfiguration is also a hinge, though, because up till now, we've been wanting glory, and from here, everything turns toward his death and his resurrection uh, for the next 40 days. Uh, today, in our worship, we want to reflect that uh, in our worship and our time together to, to try together on this mountain to see Jesus in as much glory and as much brilliant splendor as we possibly can in the next hour together. Uh, not necessarily to turn up the volume, but definitely to turn up the lights, because this world can be a dark place, and it can be very hard to see what God is up to. And so today, with bright and brilliant hope in God, we believe that he is here, and we want to see him together. Speaking of Lent, as we get started, uh, this Wednesday marks Ash Wednesday, and if you would like to mark that journey with us, we will be worshiping at Fairlawn uh, for a combined in-person and online worship service. Join us at 7 p.m. Uh, with uh, Joel and I will be leading a service there over at Fairlawn. Uh, and today, as we begin our worship together, we're going to spend the first bit of time uh, trying to see, to sing, and to say as much as we can about who Jesus is to us. So we'll be standing for a while. If at any point you need to sit down, uh, wedding, wedding protocols apply. Don't lock your knees. Feel free to sit when you need to. Friends, I'd invite you to rise and let's uh, worship in body or in spirit. Lord Jesus, your majesty surpasses all that your disciples could have imagined. Your goodness exceeds all that we think or understand. As we worship you today, open our minds and hearts to perceive your majesty and goodness more fully and to respond in joy. Amen. Friends, our call to worship comes from the Psalms, comes from Psalm 36. O God, your constant love reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness extends to the skies. Your righteousness towers like the mountains. Your justice is deeper than the sea. 
all find protection under the shadow of your wings. We feast on the abundance that you provide. You are the source of all life. And in your light, we see light. Let's sing together. your light, light of your face, shine on us. Lord, let your light, light of your face, shine on us. Let me
Yeah.
friends, this beautiful name of Jesus is the one that God has revealed to us this epiphany season, and we get to sing it in all its splendor, and we get to proclaim truths about it together. Let's do that from our uh, denomination's testimony, our world belongs to God. Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter responded, you are God's Messiah. People of God, what do you believe about Jesus the Christ? Remembering the promise to reconcile the world to himself, God joined our humanity in Jesus Christ, the eternal word made flesh. He is the long-awaited Messiah, one with us and one with God, fully human and fully divine, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Let's sing this faith together. together as the second Adam
friends, I can say to you, the peace of Christ be with you. Let's share that with each other. I'll get to sit down, but I get to stand up a little bit longer. Um, my name is Mike Onema. I'm one of the elders here on staff, or on staff at, at church here. And it's my privilege to lead us in uh, prayer this morning. If uh, you could bow your heads with me. Lord, we thank you that we can come before you this morning and worship you. We thank you for the gift of worship, and we thank you that we have the opportunity to come together in community to express our love for you and show our gratitude for all that you've done for us. Lord, we are so thankful for all the many ways that you have shown yourself to us and have blessed us. Lord, may you be praised in our worship this morning. May we be blessed through it. Lord, we thank you for technology that allows so many to worship with us, even though they're not present in this building, and remind us that your church extends beyond the physical bounds of this structure. Lord, outside this space, we still see scaffolding, reminding us of the work that continues to repair the structure that we're in, and remind us that sometimes we all need scaffolding in our lives as well to help us grow in our faith, to help us heal from disease, or maybe just to give us a better appreciation for what you do for us. Lord, so many of us are dealing with difficult situations in our lives. Grant us perspective. Remind us that you are in control of all things. And just as the scaffolding around our church will eventually come down, revealing a fresh and repaired facade, remind us that the difficulties that we face in our lives are all temporary as well. Remind us again that we can trust in you to provide all that we need. And especially as we approach this Lenten season before us, remind us that our eternal hope is in you alone. Lord, we continue to mourn with the families of those that have recently lost loved ones. Bless them today and comfort them. We also ask that you would be with those that are struggling with illness. Continue to be with Becky and Angela as they receive treatment for cancer. Thank you that in both cases it appears that cancer was caught early, but we pray for healing and that the treatments would be effective. Lord, be especially with Matthew and Diana as they seek treatment for, their, for the after effects of COVID and Simeon and Mariah especially and their other kids as well. We ask that you'd provide comfort and healing to them. Give them wisdom as they seek treatment and, and make choices. We thank you again for blessing us with medical professionals that can help us find treatments that help and heal. We thank you for the good news that so many have been able to receive vaccines from COVID. And we ask that this progress continue and the vaccine would be effective and long-lasting. Be with those that continue to make decisions on who should be prioritized in this, and we thank you that so many of the vulnerable among us have been put at the top of the list. We thank you that while in our church, that our church has been affected by COVID, we've also seen much recovery and healing. We ask this morning that you'd be with other churches that have felt the effects of COVID as well and might be struggling, both local and abroad, provide healing and wisdom where it's needed. Lord, this morning, be with Pastor Matthew as he brings us your word and speaks to us about worship. 
Open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say to us. Remind us again of all the blessings that you give to us and help us to respond by giving you the worship and praise you deserve. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning, uh, the first one comes from Psalm 36, verses 5 through 9. You will uh, recognize some of it as part of our call to worship. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. Lord, you preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. And then we have from Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 45. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him, and it is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. And even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. 
but they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. No? There we go. Friends, would you pray with me? Dazzling Lord, in blinding light, you showed your disciples a full glimpse of who you really were. Reveal yourself to us today. Show us who you are, but even more as we marvel at the glory of who you are, Open our ears to hear you speak to us as you tell us to listen very carefully, that we might know what you desire of us and how we might broadcast your love to the world for the sake of the one who keeps company with the prophets Moses and Elijah, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Blaise Pascal was a brilliant scientist and mathematician who lived a long time ago. He was also French. Uh, And those two things are important because Pascal was born into a France that was at the moment captivated by science. It was the height of the Enlightenment age in the 17th century and people could not have expected more from human reason. Inventions and innovations had captured the imagination of the France that Pascal grew up in. Pascal flourished in this world, in fact. By the age of 10, he was doing experiments in mathematics and physical science. He invented the very first calculator. I didn't know that. I thought that was pretty cool. He came up with the law of hydraulics. Pascal contributed research to the study of a vacuum on the weight and density of air. He developed the theory of probability. He invented the syringe, the hydraulic lift, and is credited with inventing the wristwatch and mapping the first bus route in Paris. But for all that reason and knowledge and human understanding could do for Pascal, there was something that he could not understand that bothered him for most of his life. He could not reconcile the relationship between God and the world. That is until November 23rd, 1654. After Pascal died, a piece of parchment paper was found sewn inside of Pascal's jacket. It was dated November 23, 1654, and on it, this is what it said. From about half past 10 in the evening until about half past 12, fire. God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and not of the philosophers and savants. Certitude. Certitude. Feeling. Joy. Peace. The brilliant scientist in the middle of a country captivated by human reason got an encounter 
with the living God for two hours on a Monday night. Pascal, when he writes about it, he doesn't parse an idea on the parchment. He describes an encounter, fire. He describes a meeting, not some made-up God, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses and Elijah, the living God, who met Moses on the mountain, met Pascal on a Monday, and he had a spiritual awakening. Pascal woke up. He worshiped. And that is the same God who meets Peter and James and John on a mountain. And Peter and his companions wake up to an experience of Jesus that they have not had before. Excuse me a minute. Fuss in here. There's nothing quite like the view from a mountaintop, is there? Now, from a mountaintop, you can see the future stretched out in front of you that you can't when you're on the ground, and you can see the past laid out behind you in a way that is hard to see up close. From a mountaintop, you can see the past stretched out behind you and get a sense for where you have been. And today, standing on this mountaintop with Peter and James and John, we can look back over the last nine chapters of the Gospel of Luke, a story that we've been reading together since November. We can see from a different point of view all of the things that Jesus has been doing and that somehow all of them were leading to this moment here on the mountaintop. We can see that we watched Jesus heal the sick and we've heard him tell stories about the kingdom of God and we've watched him cast out demons with immense power. We've watched how he treats sinners and outcasts. We've seen how he treats the self-righteous and the powerful. We have heard him call our name and say, come follow me. And we have. And so we are among Peter and his companions today. And we were with Peter just eight days ago when Jesus asked us all, who do you say that I am? And Peter, in a moment of matter-of-fact clarity, said, you are God's Messiah. Peter confessed the right thing. Jesus is more than a prophet. Jesus is more than another Moses. Jesus is more than a miracle worker. Jesus is the one who we have all been waiting for for generations, for in fact all of human history, the Messiah. But for all the truth of that claim, on the mountain what happens eight days after Peter says that is Peter gets to experience the truth of that claim. On the mountain, his heart is touched by that reality. He does not just say what is true about Jesus. He basks in its radiant glory. Peter and his companions have a spiritual week awakening. They wake up. They worship. When they go up with Jesus, Jesus is transfigured. But Peter and his companions, they don't notice it at first. They are sleepy. Isn't that interesting? Luke tells us that Peter has the right answer about who Jesus is, but he almost misses the show because he's sleepy. Well, how, how, how can Peter and his companions possibly be asleep at a time like this? How could they not grasp the reality of the splendor and the glory of what Jesus looks like right now? I don't know. 
How is it that we can come to this mountain that is a church sleepy? How is it that we can be in the luminous presence of the living God and barely register a pulse? The reasons are legion, as we all know. But the answer is more important. The answer is that Peter and his companions need to wake up. They have to wake up. Fortunately, they do. They wake up, sleep shaken from their eyes. They see Jesus' face shining. They see his clothes like like a bolt of lightning paused in mid-frame as this most blue brilliant. They see Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah. They see the glory of God. Now, long time before this happened, way back in Exodus, something very similar happened on another mountain. Moses had asked to see the glory of God, and God offered to let him see his back. Seeing God's face would kill Moses, God said. So Moses is hid in the cleft of a rock. He sees God, God's back, and Moses comes down the mountain positively radiant and glowing. Luke could not be any clearer today. On this mountain, Peter and his companions are seeing the glory of God, not from behind, but face to face, in the face of Jesus. Not only do they see it, but then they are actually enveloped in the glory cloud of God's very presence. And they get to hear with their ears for the first time what Jesus always heard when he prayed. They got to hear God's own voice say, this is my beloved son. Peter and his companions have a spiritual awakening. And there on that mountain, they experience the truth of who Jesus really is. No wonder Peter wants to stay there for a while. I mean, when he sees that Moses and Elijah are packing up, getting ready to leave, he offers to set up tents so that they can stay a while. He wants to keep the worship experience going. Now that he is awake, he doesn't want the glory dream to end. Eight days ago, Jesus told Peter that some of you will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God. And on this mountain, Peter is seeing it. Can you blame him that he wants to set up shop here far away from all the bitter taste of death? We all want spiritual awakening. We all want to wake up to the full glory of Jesus. We hunger for more than just right answers. We want to experience the truth of those right answers deep in our bones. The good news is that we're right. We were meant to sing what we believe and to believe what we sing. Humans are not rational creatures. We are creatures who love, and we serve what we love, and we love whatever it is that captivates our imagination. For all the people who might say that going to church is optional, none of us actually lives like that. Because if you spend even just five minutes with Jesus, you will understand that what he asks of us is just too hard without the experience of worship. We cannot possibly hope to know about Jesus and follow him. We must know Jesus. And that means that we have to wake up. 
We need to sense with our soul the truth of what we believe. We have to come to the mountaintop. But sometimes we forget why we're here. Sometimes we forget what the experience of Jesus is for. Imagine with me the following two scenes for a moment. Two pastors start two worship services in two identical churches. The first says, Welcome. We're so glad that you're here today. We've all come from demanding and difficult weeks, haven't we? In fact, it may be that it was hard to see God in your difficult week, which is why in worship today we invite you to leave behind whatever you thought about this week so you can see God. The second says, Welcome. We're so glad that you're here today. We've all come from difficult and demanding weeks, haven't we? In fact, it may be that it was hard to see God in your difficult week, which is why in worship today we invite you to bring that work problem, to carry with you the pain of that fight with your spouse, your anxiety about the family budget, so that you can see God. Both pastors know that it is vitally important that we experience Jesus in worship, but one assumes that the mountaintop is the only place where we will ever see God. The other, that the mountaintop merely trains us to see God when we come back down. Friends, we want to experience worship, but we hope that worship will help us to forget the rest of our lives, to forget its bitter taste, to forget just how real death can be. I was glancing through John Calvin's little book that he wrote on the Christian life this week, and there's something in there that caught my eye. At one point, Calvin said that, um, you know, we don't actually know how to think about death and suffering. He says, we all know that human life is like smoke or shadow, right? It's here and then it's gone. It's bitter and it's hard. Scholars, brilliant people know it, and so do the rest of us. We all know this. But even though we all know that, there is nothing we think about less. We make plans as if we will live forever, even when we're walking in a graveyard. Even when death is right before our eyes, we might get philosophical about it, but only till we go home, and then we go on as if we are going to live forever. Is it any wonder that sometimes our worship forgets this too? Worship scholars have noticed that in the last 50 years, a lot, not all, but a lot of worship in North America became largely about fabricating experiences and dramatic expressions, creating moments. It is it any wonder then that for so many North American Christians, when a pandemic hit, we did not know how to make heads or tails of suffering. In Luke, the mountaintop transfiguration is about helping Jesus to prepare for his suffering. It's for Jesus, not so much for the disciples. 
The mountaintop is meant to equip Jesus, to prepare him, to strengthen him, to go back down the mountain and to suffer. Moses isn't there to talk to Peter. He's talking to Jesus. Elijah is there to help Jesus get clarity and wisdom for his death and destruction at the hands of Rome and religion, which is what lies at the bottom of this mountain. Because this mountaintop is not the end of the story. We are not even halfway through the Gospel of Luke at this point. And now that we know who Jesus really is, he has become suddenly quite clear about where we are going. We are going to his death and ours. And what lies at the bottom of this mountain, what greets him when he gets to the bottom is a father with a son, his only son, who has all the symptoms, all of them, and a crowd that clamors for miracles, and a boy who is writhing in pain, and we will need something more than lights and music to face it. The disciples at the bottom of the mountain are mired in evil and need and desperation. But Jesus says that their problem is not that they didn't have enough power to cast out the demon. Jesus already gave them the power at the beginning of this chapter. Their problem was not power, but truth. They did not adequately understand the truth. They did not sufficiently believe the truth of the one in whose name they were given the power. Friends, worship is not about setting up powerful kingdom moments away from the world, but experiencing the truth of who Jesus is in all of his brilliant splendor in order to witness to the reality of that kingdom in the world. Because what happens on this mountain is not that Jesus is transfigured, but that Peter and his companion's vision is. They weren't taken up the mountain to find God, but to learn to see God everywhere else. To be awake Monday through Saturday, and not just on Sunday. Mountaintops in the Bible, if you're familiar with the Bible and how it works, you'll know that mountaintops are the places where God's people see glory. But this is not the only mountaintop in Luke. There is another. Jesus will set down from this mountain and he will begin to turn toward Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. And at the end of that journey, 43 days from now, he will come to another mountain, to a hill, to a hill outside of Jerusalem called the place of the skull. And on that hill, Jesus will be lifted up, not on a throne, but on a cross. He will have a crown of thorns thrust in his brow and not gold laid upon his head. He will gasp for breath. He will offer forgiveness for the people who put him there, and he will die. And the reason that we must wake up on this mountain today is because when we come down toward the other side, we head toward that mountain with Jesus on his journey. On that mountain, Jesus' true glory looks a lot like the opposite. On that mountain, we won't see a splendiferous visage, but bloodied hands and feet and head. And on that mountain, God's coming looks a whole lot like the end of all hopes for it. And the astounding claim of Christianity that still shocks the world is this. 
That is how the kingdom comes. That is God's power and authority. Jesus tastes death. No, drinks it all down for us so that we can enter the kingdom. That is how the Messiah saves the world. And you too. And that is how God works in our lives. Thinking about how worship on this mountain helps us to see God in the rest of our lives, I was reminded of a story that Steve Fortna told me. And uh, with his permission, I'd like to share it all with you. Back in July, when our family came to visit, uh, we were in here on an ordinary Tuesday night. Seemed like a strange night to have church. We didn't really have a choice. Here we were. We worshiped. It was Tuesday. It was hot. We sang. I preached. Some of you were here in the room. Others of you were out there where you are still today. But we were all on the mountain. And Steve was out there, in fact, with, with those of you at home. And after the fact, he told me that uh, there on that Tuesday night, through his computer screen, God showed up for him in worship in a surprising way. You see, Steve said that he had been keyed up, like most of us at that point, about the coming school year. What form was it going to take? How would it go? What were the protocols going to be? And being on the COVID team at his school, he felt a lot of pressure to get those protocols right when there wasn't a lot of consensus about what right was. He says he wasn't always worried, of course, about what was best for the school, but wondering about what was best for him and his children, both physically and mentally. And in church that night, we read a story from Exodus about God showing up in, of all places, the desert. We read a story about a God who makes food appear where it shouldn't be, about a God who shows up so that even in deserts of death and destruction in this world, we can find that God provides more than we think is there. And somehow, in those words, God did appear. And after that night, Steve said he remembered to trust that God would provide manna when he needed it, and because of that, he could rest. Steve came away from that Tuesday worship facing his difficult life with new eyes. And with a matter-of-fact clarity, something like Peter's, Steve said, quote, things started to coalesce and head in a positive direction fairly quickly thereafter, which is a delightfully simple way of saying we do not worship to forget our lives, but to remember God who is present in them, to remember, to remember, to remember that because Jesus faced death for us, when we come down this mountain, we are just a little more prepared for whatever we will face in ours. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, would you pray with me? Dazzling Lord, in blinding light you showed your disciples a hint of your power and purpose Reveal yourself to us today, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Show us your brilliant splendor, and even as we look at you in all your splendorous glory, open our ears so that we can hear you say, listen very carefully to me, that we might not just see, but hear 
and in seeing and hearing perceive that you are even now at work among us so that we might follow you, broadcasting your love into the world for the sake of the one who keeps company with the prophets, Moses and Elijah. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Friends, we respond together, and normally we would have the chance to do this practically, not just by raising our voices, but also offering up some of the resources and money that God has given us. Because of COVID, we cannot do that in the same way. But we are still taking offerings today either online or uh, in the donation bin out in front, and we have two offerings. The, the first is for the general fund that funds the work of our congregation, and the second is for the Christian Education Fund um, and uh, the deacons wanted me to let you know that uh, either on envelopes or in the memo line, please do indicate where you would like those funds to go. Uh, and so, friends, I'd invite you to take a moment whenever and however you can to, uh, to respond to God in that way and then also to please rise as we uh, s- respond by receiving uh, God's parting blessing. Friends, the Lord who has brought us here is the same God who sends us out. He has turned his face toward us in his Son, and he will not change his mind. I invite you to receive God's parting blessing. Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Together. Alleluia. Amen. Let's go singing. Oh, for a thousand tongues.
Go in.